This is Zips Unlimited, a show about the University of Akron, its programs, its people, and its community. Zips Unlimited is produced by WZIP-FM. Hello and welcome to Zips Unlimited. My name is Chris Kepler, General Manager here at WZIP. You know, one of my responsibilities as a faculty member in the School of Communication is to teach. And one of the courses I offer is what we call a topics class, topics in media production. And in this case, the topic happens to be podcasting. Um, students learn about podcasting. They create a plan for a podcast series, and then they produce and distribute several episodes. As of early December, the semester wrapping up, but I thought you might enjoy hearing about some of these podcasts. I'm going to play a short excerpt and allow the student behind it to explain a little bit about their goal, why they produced it, you know, what it's all about. There were 15 people in the class, and it's not really realistic to feature all of them. So instead, I tried to find a few students who were available and who represented a range of different topic areas that they explored. Now, if you're listening to this on WZIP, take note that Zips Unlimited is also available as a podcast. Just about anywhere you might look for podcasts. If you want to check out some of the podcasts from my class, I'm going to list them here, but you can also go to Zips Unlimited, the podcast, take a look in the show notes for links to all of these different podcasts, including some that are sort of motivational, self-help, like the Outlook Perspective podcast by Kristen Johnson, the Golden Standard with Feast, that's by Josh Feaster, Do It For Yourself by Megan Sheets. There are a couple that are kind of hard to categorize, but they do allow you to get into the minds of college students, like the Joey D. Fox podcast by, guess what, Joey D. Fox, also Amateur Expertise by Ben Malloy. Ashley Carter produced the Black Film Review. That involves discussion about black representation in media. Jack Tupta uh, brings knowledge as a collegiate competitor and as an industry employee to his podcast, Esports Lifestyle. Broadway Babes by Alyssa Springer delves into really Alyssa's love of Broadway and theater in general. You've heard of Karen, right? <laughs> Ariel Torgler draws from her retail experience for a podcast called Don't Be a Karen. Alyssa Lawrence produced Food for Thought. This one's all about inexpensive and healthy eating for college students, and each episode has a dorm-friendly recipe. Jacob Fairfield came up with Fictional Deep Dive. It's fiction critique and discussion about the creative writing process. And another writer in this class is Samuel Grom, and his podcast is called Welcome to the Woods. Sam is here with me. Tell me about this. Hey, Chris. Um, well, Welcome to the Woods is a story anthology podcast. It's very episodic, so there's not really anything connecting them too much aside from a theme every episode. Uh, it's very much uh, me writing little stories and um, narrating them to the best of my ability and utilizing, and utilizing sound effects and the like to uh, you know enhance immersion for the listener. Mm-hmm. A lot of work went into this. Oh, yeah. um, there are a lot of different you know, ways that, that people produce podcasts, a lot of different methods. Some people just kind of talk, and they're really good at that, just sort of talking for 20 or 30 minutes. <laughs> Sometimes they're interviews. It can be a lot of different things. But yours, like you just said, involve actually writing these stories. And um, obviously, you have to have you know, a, a desire and the ability and talent to write, and to write in a way where it can be presented yeah. like that, which I think is is very different from writing some other type of story that maybe doesn't lend itself to what you've been doing. Do you oh, agree? Yeah. Um, writing for podcasts is very different from just writing to be read. 
uh, the pacing has to be made a lot different. Um, and really, there's a whole different um, vibe that you have to go for in mm-hmm. your writing. It has to be a lot more visual so that you can like represent things more easily um, with effects. Let's take a listen real quick. Now, obviously, that was just one small sample out of a series of podcasts. But, Samuel, is there a way that, that you can, I don't know whether to categorize is the right word, the, the types of stories that you like to tell? Where, where do these um, stories come from? Do they have a, kind of an overall theme? Um, yes. Mostly the theme is in fantastical things. Um, and a sort of a disclaimer, I sort of count science fiction as a fantastical kind of genre mm-hmm. where there's a lot more larger than life elements in it. I love doing that. Um, I feel like it carries a bit of uh, grandiosity that um, has its own appeal to it that I, I both enjoy writing and I enjoy reading. So, When you're writing stories like this, are you – I don't I wonder what's coming first for you. Is it – Picturing a character, is it is it the voice? Is it the dialogue? I mean, eventually that all kind of comes together anyway, at least yeah. with what you're doing. My first thought is really the feel of it. Um, what sort of sensation I want to impart to the listener and how I can best communicate that. Everything sort of just comes naturally after that. Um, even dialogue is something that just sort of comes naturally as a result of the atmosphere of the story I'm telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you had a lot of feedback? Um, yes, I've gotten a lot of feedback from uh, fellow students and my family who've taken to it pretty well. And it's been heard really all over yeah. the place. I mean, uh, people picked this up from other states, and I don't know if you've hit other countries or not. I don't recall. I think one of the places I'm getting a lot in is Brazil for some reason. Really? Yeah. Okay. And it's not like in Spanish or anything. No, it's not. <laughs> That'll be your next trick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something you want to continue, maybe not this particular podcast, but just in general, not only, I know you like to write and you, mm-hmm. and you want to write. Um, do you want to incorporate the multimedia effects into your writing like you have for this podcast? Yes, very much so. Um, I've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of trying to manifest my ideas through different uh, medium or media, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just find it so fun that I, I can't see myself not at least experimenting with it in the future. So maybe maybe some voice acting oh, in yeah. the future. Voice acting is your own been, stuff. I have been told growing up that I should do voice acting. I, I've always taken that as just, oh, they just want me to feel good. <laughs> you know, I, I've never asked you this, though. Are, now, the different voices, I know some of them you did. Did you do all the voices, or did you borrow some voices for um, here and there? Any episode that's not a guest is me. Um, a lot of times I'll enhance it with uh, audio editing, mm-hmm. but more or less it's coming from the voices that I do. Okay, okay. So I thought th- I thought that was like entirely or almost entirely you, but I wasn't yeah. wasn't positive. Do you have any training? No, I don't. Okay. I just I'm weird, and you I just use you just I do voices whenever I'm bored. Okay. <laughs> well, it's one of those things. I think if you if you're willing to kind of let your guard down and just throw it out there and not worry about what people think and allow yourself to go there, it probably makes it a little bit easier. I don't think I would be very good at that, but (laughs) um, nonetheless, I think you've been very good at that. So uh, again, welcome to the woods. You can find it really, I think you have it on Spotify. You have it just about everywhere, don't you? Mm -hmm. All right, everybody can take a listen. 
Hello, and welcome to the woods. I'm your host, Samuel Grom, here to take you on a hike through the many stories the forest can inspire. Whether it's a quaint folk tale or a fanciful journey through the imagination, there's nothing you can't think up when you use your creativity. Or perhaps if you're a little crazy. Now come with me into the thicket, and I'll share with you some of the crazy stories my cranium can come up with. Again, are we? <laughs> In this weather. I'll admit I respect your strange dedication to visiting me. Why am I here? Let's just say I like the cold for now. The cruel frigidness has its own peculiar allure. I personally like the feeling of pushing through the snow... Bundled in thick gear. Gives me a sense of adventure. Of course, I also like the vistas. The icy crystallization of the world around me. Oh, come here. By the fire. You'll do nothing but freeze out there. There. That's better. I'm guessing you're here to hear some stories? Right. Of course you are. Oh, I'm not annoyed. My feet are just cold, drying my socks by the fire. Well, I have had some time to come up with some tales. I'm sure you can figure out the theme. This is the tale of the abandoned cities of the White Wastes. cities stood in the far north where the sturdiest of men lived. Great constructions of stone and iron, black and gray, and with the height to pierce the skies. A hundred generations dwelt in those marvels, creating thousands of legends with their deeds since the gods met their end. But nature's strange designs sought an end to such glory. The brisk winds of the north became biting and cruel, and what was once merely frigid grew freezing. After one hundred years, the men were gone. They left behind much fleeing into closing caves pointing south. Now all that is left is gray stone and black iron, hiding frozen treasures for fools to find. Dire, right? Well, I'm in a bit of a dire mood. Ugh. Socks are still wet. Here, I think I've got one more. This is the story of Daniel 
the desperate. Talking to Luke McMurtry on Forged in Ohio. Before we get into your fighting career, I noticed last minute before this interview that a nickname was added to your typology page. <laughs> I did. You yeah. now come up as Cool Hand Luke McMurtry. Yeah. So, is this indeed your nickname? And if so, what inspired it? I think I'm going with it, man. I couldn't. I, I'm terrible at thinking of nicknames. Like I couldn't think of one. And yeah, I think I like it, man. Like Cool Hand Luke. Like it's a slick nickname. And, and I feel like when I fight. I'm, I, when I go in there, I'm very cool and calm, and I'm collected, and so I feel like it's kind of a, it's a good fit. I'm not even sure how I thought of it. I just kind of came to me at, at some point. It was literally, like you said, it was like a week and a half ago or something, and I was like, yeah, cool hand Luke. I liked that. I couldn't think of anything else, so I was like, okay, I'm cool. I'm cool hand Luke. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, it flows. I can't, I can't blame sure. you there. Let's talk about your first amateur fight last okay. March. What was it like walking into the cage for your first fight, your amateur debut at Cage Thunder? Dude, it was very surreal. I mean, I, I, to even put it into words, I've done a lot. Of, I mean, I'm young, but I've done a lot of things so far in this life. I mean, I've, I've skydived, jumped out of a plane. I've shot guns. You know, I've done a lot of adrenaline-filled things because I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie. I like that stuff. And nothing compares to walking out to that cage. It's just the craziest feeling. It felt like a dream. Especially in the moment, just like I almost couldn't get my bearings on what what I needed to do and like to like use my training like I was just so caught up in the moment and especially just being in there and looking around and there's like it was the one of the most packed that event has been too to date uh was my was my uh debut and I was the first fight so just going out there first and looking out and there were so many people I mean to the door dude and it was just such a surreal feeling and then when they they clicked that door shut and the they clicked that cage door shut it's just like that's the most real feeling you can get because you're just like okay this is they just locked us in a cage, and this other dude's try, about to try to hurt me. Like, this is very real right now. Like, it, it was crazy, man. Especially when we went out, and he, he said, all right, let's fight. And I, I went out for a split second. I was just like, he, I think he threw, like, a jab or, like, a one-two or something. And I was like, oh, crap, I need to fight right now. Like, I was so caught up in the moment. I was, like, almost not even in it. And then we clinched up, and, yeah, so. Was there was, added pressure for it being the first fight of the night? I think so. It was so we were. I was supposed to fight that guy in December of last year, and it fell through. And we were, we got put on there as the first fight. So I told Scott, the matchmaker for Cage Thunder, I told Scott Corbin, I was like, "Let's uh, put put me for first fight again for the next card." I actually messaged the guy, and I was like, "Hey," because he got sick. It was COVID. And I messaged him, and I said, "Hey, man, I understand. You know, you're sick, and it is what it is. But you signed a contract. I signed a contract. You owe me a fight. Let's fight on the next card." And he was like, "For sure." So I messaged Scott, and I was like, hey, put us for the first fight again. If you can, I would like to be the first fight. Because I think I just got myself so ready to for that mindset. At first, I was freaking out, and then I was like, okay, I'm the first fight. I'm going to go out there with a bang. I'm going to start the night off right. And I was so ready to be the first fight that, I, I, I yeah, I wanted to do it. The second time around, I was like, yeah, put us first. And you did start the night off right. You finished sure. that fight early in the first round via knockout. Yeah. What did it feel like to deliver that type of performance in your first career fight? Uh, definitely felt good. I know a lot of my friends were probably worried. My family was worried, so it felt good. I mean, I don't think he he, he might have landed a, a hit or two on me. He didn't really land anything on me though, so I didn't take any damage. So it felt good to just go out there and and, uh, and get the win and not take any damage. And it was a good first fight for me for sure. I, it felt awesome, man. Awesome. I mean, definitely after I won, just walking around and celebrating in the cage was just like. I feel like I'm a UFC fighter right now. Like, this is awesome. And I mean, I know what it is. It's local amateur fighting. But, dude, it was really cool. Really cool. 
Yeah, on top of the world, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You fought Matt Dugan in May at Cage Thunder 15, just two months after your debut. It looked like you were caught in a guillotine in the third round of that fight before you won via KO. You were able to escape perfectly by fighting the hands, but how tight was that submission attempt? Dude, tight, tight. Because I've been put in a guillotine in all three of my fights, Yeah. and that one was the only one where he really had both of his legs around my waist, and, I mean, it was tight, and he... It was so dumb because right before that, I, I, I we were throwing hands, and I, I rocked him with just a crazy shot from my waist. I threw one crazy shot and rocked him. And then I- well, the voice that you heard uh, is that of Jake Murren, a familiar voice, familiar name on WZIP. Happy to have Jake in the studio with me, as you might have guessed. Welcome, Jake. Thank you for having me, Chris. <laughs> Forged in Ohio. Now, this is an idea that, that you came up with for the podcasting class, but, I mean, really, you've been doing things like this anyway maybe not quite this concentrated. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair to say. Obviously, I am heavily involved with WZIP, doing podcasts there as well, but my true passion in all of sports is really focused on combat sports with mixed martial arts and even pro wrestling. So I knew I wanted to do some type of podcast um, revolving around those sports, but I also wanted to do some interviews too with these combat sports athletes to really expose myself to that industry. I look up to a professional who does interviews with mixed martial artists, so that's where I kind of got the idea. I am in love with the state I live in. I love the state of Ohio, so that's where I kind of came up with Forge in Ohio. Well, I was going to say, what did make you decide to kind of limit it to Ohio? I mean, okay, you live in Ohio, but, I mean, you could have done this in a, in a broader region if you wanted to. Yeah, I love Ohio. I follow a professional wrestler named John Moxley. He has the title Forged in Combat, so that's where I kind of arrived at Forged in Ohio. And like I said, I just really like this state. I knew that also getting fighters from the state of Ohio would be easier than getting fighters from you know international or across the country, uh, getting them in studio, preferably over the phone. Um, and I knew that targeting amateur fighters that were close to me would bring more of a personal touch to the Forge in Ohio podcast. Yeah, I was going to say you had at least a couple of these guys that were willing to drive, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes to come here and talk to you in person, something you couldn't have done probably if they were 10 or 12 or 14 hours away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, these interviews were really fun to listen to. Did you enjoy doing them? Yeah, I love doing interviews. I've only done a couple um, with WZIP. Now I'm exposed even more through Forge in Ohio as I did five episodes, five different interviews. And the feeling you get after doing an interview is just so much like fulfillment. I feel so fulfilled when I do an interview. And when I know I do an interview well, it just makes me feel good in knowing that I accomplished that. So, yeah, I knew I wanted to do interviews and doing that for five episodes for Forge in Ohio, like I said, just made me feel really good about what I was putting out there. Have you gotten much feedback on the podcast? From other people, not really. I haven't had any people like come out on social media and say, hey, I really enjoy Forge in Ohio. But I will say the analytics have kind of surprised me. Um, knowing these fighters and knowing that they're promoting it on their own social media account, I really don't take that for granted because of the um, attention that Forge in Ohio has gotten so far. I mean, some interviews are doing better than others, but I have kind of been surprised by um, the support and the listenership that Forge in Ohio has gathered just five episodes in. All right. Anybody who's a fan of, uh, of this type of sport, check it out. Forge in Ohio. You can find it just about any place you would find a podcast. 
Well, next up is Natalie Savage. She, Natalie, you are a media studies major also, correct? Correct. I thought so. And um, another student in the podcasting class, you came up with an idea that was very different from what a lot of other people did, um, really from what anybody did. Criticism or cynicism. Isn't that the name of it? Critique or cynicism. Critique or cynicism. And tell me the basis of that. What, what, where were you going with this whole idea? So basically, I got my idea for it from the internet, but not in the way you'd probably think. So whenever a movie would come out or a new piece of media in general would come out, there'd always be this backlash. Um, the fans that are upset, that are criticizing the product, will oftentimes get labeled as toxic fans, entitled fans. And oftentimes, I think that that's done without really listening to the criticisms themselves. Um, and then it also goes the other way. A new show will come out. And there'll be people, often even before the show is actually out, that it are just determined to hate it. Um, they call it just an unsalvageable bag of garbage, essentially, that is unredeemable. You can't possibly enjoy it. And if you do, you're a shill for whoever made it. <laughs> so I got... This is just like being on social media, <laughs> isn't it? I yeah, mean, it is. And that's, that's what I mean by I got it from the internet because the internet is kind of terrible at times. And so I just hear these labels getting thrown around and I'm like, you're allowed to like or not like pieces of media. It's art. It's subjective. That's literally going to happen all the time. How come we can't just actually listen to each other and respect when people like a product? Maybe admit it's not that bad. If you don't like it, fine. Um, and why, why do we have these labels for people just mm -hmm. on the basis of whether or not they like a movie of all things mm -hmm. like if you don't like this movie then you must be a horrible person why right. and that never really made sense to me so after well, like you said often these these judgments we come to these judgments without ever having even taken in whatever the main subject really is i mean i didn't even watch the movie <laughs> yet i'm gonna judge you because you did or mm -hmm. because you liked it or uh, the reverse of you know you watched the movie you're criticizing the movie but the only criticism you could possibly have could be born from this horrible label some bigotry that you have within yourself oh you don't like ray oh you must hate women doesn't matter that you like other female characters because you dislike this one you must be a horrible person well not necessarily i mean i'm not saying that there aren't people like that but the vast majority of the criticisms Probably are more than that. It would be far too easy to just chalk up all criticism for your product as just there's something wrong with them. My product is great. Unfortunately, that's not always going to be how it works. I don't think there's a piece of media out there that is beyond criticizing in some way, shape or form. And we're constantly reevaluating media. So maybe once we thought it was really great. Maybe now it's not so great. And I think that trying to shut down criticism or enjoyment either way is not helpful. I think it is very divisive. And I think it really just gets in the way of something that is supposed to be fun. We are supposed to be having fun when we are watching these movies, when we are consuming these products. And sure, maybe the fans aren't entitled to have their visions, what they want to happen, happen. But they are also consumers and you are selling a product essentially. So I think that there is definitely a balancing act that you have to do of having a story that, you know, will appeal to fans while still maintaining your creative vision. And I think when 
you have to be able to gracefully handle criticism as well. Um, so that means obviously listening to it. Maybe you address it, maybe you don't, but just don't tear down, especially your target audience, your target consumers. Maybe don't tear those people down to try to make them these horrible people because they have some criticism of your art, which is very subjective and is going to be criticized whether you like it or not. And for the people that are wanting to just stop other people from enjoying things because they personally don't enjoy it, why? You don't have to enjoy it. Now, you are allowed to criticize it. If you do watch it and you do find something wrong with it, you have as much right to your opinion as anybody else. But you don't have to assume that the only reason that people like it is because they're, they're somehow shills or they have no standards or something. Maybe they just have different standards. Maybe they just like different things than you do and are bothered by different things than you are bothered by or not bothered by the things that you are. What you happen to like personally is a lot of um, fantasy, sci-fi type stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So what you've done in the podcast is taken a different artifact or a different character in each episode and kind of broken it down just as the way you were explaining by kind of getting into both sort of both points of view and then giving your ultimate opinion, you know, based on your research, right? Right. I definitely wanted to try and paint both arguments in the best possible possible light. I call it steel manning. I don't know if that's the official term or not, or if I just picked it up somewhere. But it's basically the inverse of straw manning, where, which is what is, I think, happening a lot where people are just like, oh, we're just boiling down your criticism to this easily knockable like argument of you're just horrible and we don't have to address your criticism because you're horrible. We can just brush it off. So I like to straw man both arguments. That way we get the best arguments from both sides and you can make, in my opinion, the best informed opinion when you do that because you have all the best information. And then, I mean, ultimately it is about my opinion as well. So I do give my opinion, but I do try to be as objective and researched as possible when giving my opinion. Obviously, I'm not saying that my opinion is objectively fact, but just based right, it's on... it's your opinion. Yeah, yeah just based on... it's an educated on, opinion. Yes. So, <laughs> before we take a listen, um, hopefully some of you listening to this right now already recognize Natalie's name, Natalie's voice. Um, you are part of Entertainment Rebooted, which airs on WZIP on Sundays at 1 o'clock. And you, you actually get into... Maybe not exactly what you've been describing, but a lot of what you talk about and what you bring to our listeners has to do with the type of media that, that is really your favorite. Yes, that is. I think that is the best way to go about making any kind of media play into like what you are passionate about, play into what you really like doing. You mentioned passion a lot in the podcasting class, and that is because you are going to be more motivated with something that you are passionate about. You're going to want to work. You're going to want to get in the studio and create something because you are passionate about it. And for my entertainment rebooted segments, like for the podcast form, they are really long when I'm talking about the rings of power. And that is because I have so much to say. I literally talk for at least an hour to an hour and a half <laughs> on two episodes of television that most of the fandom doesn't even like. So <laughs> like that is, I think the best thing about passion because you can just do that you will you'll be more willing to put in the work you'll be more willing to talk for an hour and you'll be 
super excited, Isabel gets on me for my levels because, you know, when I'm not passionate about it, they'll be pretty low usually. And then I talk about Lord of the Rings. This happened when we were filming a segment the other day. She was just like, talk about Lord of the Rings because then your voice gets really loud when you talk about things that you really like. So I have to like take that into consideration when I'm setting your levels. And I literally leaned back and I was like, so Lord of the Rings. And my voice (laughs) immediately got so much louder and she's like yep there it is i'm sure there are people who enjoy listening to that let's take a listen to natalie's podcast right now hello everybody welcome to critique or cynicism a podcast dedicated to identifying analyzing and steel manning arguments everyone else labels as either woke pandering or the whining of toxic fandoms how reasonable are common criticisms of modern media let's discuss Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the Critique or Cynicism podcast. My name is Natalie, and I will be your host on this critical or cynical journey. So buckle up and enjoy the ride on the critic train. Having now finished the entire first season of Amazon's new Lord of the Rings series, The Rings of Power, I feel now is a good opportunity to talk about Galadriel and whether or not she is a Mary Sue. In case you haven't listened to my Mulan 2020 podcast, a Mary Sue, again, will refer to a character who is far too powerful or capable for the experience and training she has. Her gifts are mostly, if not entirely, unearned. She is near universally loved, except for the antagonist, and she is always portrayed as in the right, at least when it actually matters. Sometimes she'll have some kind of flaw, but these flaws are usually superficial or not shown in any meaningful way, and they do not really make it harder for her to succeed. She's portrayed as perfect or at least near enough to it to result in a lack of tension and sense of conflict for the audience. I want to make it clear that the purpose of this podcast is not to throw shade at anyone who likes or doesn't like Rings of Power. Please feel free to do so. All I'm going to do is take a criticism of a character, show, or film, defend said character, critique said character, and determine, in a general sense, how much I agree with the criticism. It's not unreasonable that some people claim she's a Mary Sue, as Galadriel is clearly very powerful, even as a child. At the least, she's not always very likable. Still, her defenders will say that her powers make sense within the canon J.R.R. Tolkien created. In letter number 348, it says, Galadriel, like all the other names of elvish persons in The Lord of the Rings, is an invention of my own. It is in Cinderin form, see appendices E and F, and means maiden crowned with gleaming hair. It is a secondary name given to her in her youth, in the far past, because she had long hair which glistened like gold, but was also shot with silver. She was then of Amazon disposition, and bound up her hair as a crown when taking part in athletic feats. Galadriel is also much older than most, if not all, other characters in the show. Much older than Elrond, Arondir, and even High King Gilgalad. She's also established as the commander of the Northern Armies, so it is safe to assume that she's had plenty of training. Galadriel is also not universally loved like Mary Sue's typically are, and she makes mistakes as misjudgments of character. For everyone who made it to the finale, or were spoiled, you know what I'm talking about. The elves under her command mutiny... Well, finally today, I want to introduce you to Joe Headley. Now, this is another name and voice that you hopefully are familiar with at WZIP. 
Um, Joe is one of our DJs Sundays, 6 to 8 p.m., I believe. That's right. Okay. Um, liking the alt music. Oh, yeah. Maybe some of our other stuff, but really the alt music. And by the way, you can hear Joe on WQMX 94.9 FM also on, I think, primarily weekends. Yep. Saturday night's my regular shift from 7 to midnight, and it's a lot of fun there and here. Um, just enjoying being on the air. Okay. Well, um, Joe is another person who produced a podcast for a podcasting class here at the University of Akron. And um, as I explained in the beginning, I wanted to bring at least a few people in. We can't, don't really have time to bring in all 15 students and play excerpts from their, all their podcasts. But Joe's podcast, I, I wanted to you know, highlight some people who did something different. And, and Joe's is different from anything I probably would have expected if I would have thrown out topics or something. It's called the Greasy Knuckles Podcast, right? Yep. And this stems from what I don't think I realized is your passion about small engines, engines, any, anything that – I think anything with a gas motor, really, you're into. <laughs> Honestly, I've always described it as anything with wheels I'm okay. all about. Um, I like everything from four-wheelers to snowmobiles, and uh, I'm no expert on it, but I just have a lot of fun riding and working on stuff, and so I thought maybe I'll share some of what I know with uh, – the world right. through a podcast. Well, and I think it's really important that you mention that you're not an expert. And that's really the premise of this whole thing is that you're not pretending to be somebody who is a master mechanic, uh, but somebody who does know probably more than the average person about engines and keeping anything with wheels running. Um, and that's that's really where you were going, right, is, is sharing that kind of knowledge. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd like to think that I know a little bit about what I'm talking about for sure, but uh, yeah, the whole premise was just to uh, have something approachable and accessible. A lot of times uh, in power sports or really a lot of niche, like, passions or whatever, people mm-hmm. tend to uh, try and talk above your head or, uh, I don't know, I, I call it shop talk Yeah. Uh, in terms of mechanics, but I just wanted to bring everything down to earth and... Uh, Make a podcast for anyone and everyone. Right. Have you gotten um, very much feedback? Uh, well, I have some regular listeners who really enjoy uh, what I've been putting out. And um, in terms of feedback, I haven't got a lot of like uh, constructive criticism, but rather I have a lot of people that come up to me that I have not even mentioned the podcast to. And they're like, hey, Joe, I saw you have a podcast. And I started listening to it, and it's honestly, like, really special to hear that just yeah. from coworkers or whoever. And it's reached kind of far, too. Yeah, uh, I'm in two countries, <laughs> and uh, I'm always impressed with my listenership when I look at my analytics, but I'm, I'm not doing it for, you know, publicity or anything like that. I'm just trying to have fun with it, and... Joe, thinking back at some of the different episodes of your podcast, what are a couple of things that you sort of honed in on? Yeah, so uh, some of the overarching themes in the podcast are like engines and mechanics themselves, working on stuff, maintaining things. But on the other hand of things, it's about the fun stuff too. And not that being in the garage isn't fun, but it can get a little frustrating from time to time when... uh, things break down or aren't working right. And really the joy of it all is just being out uh, in nature or 
wherever you're riding and having a good time in the breeze with friends. And uh, there's a bit of like self-dependence. It's fun to just learn more and be able to put that knowledge into practical use with my own two hands. How did that start for you? I mean, are you just one of these guys that just sort of knows or have you spent a lot of time, you know, maybe with a mentor, you know, a parent or somebody like that that taught you stuff or you just thought, I've got to figure this out? Well, I mean, frankly, I'm sort of a product of my generation and uh, YouTube has been so impactful on what I know. Um, Really, it came down to I wanted to have a go-kart, and it broke, so that's how I learned yeah. how to fix it. And um, I've Well, had, if you don't know how to fix it yourself, you'd be better, better be prepared to shell out some money. And that and the availability of people that actually work on stuff like that is pretty limited in uh, this area in specific. You know, if you're in the desert or the mountains or something, there's probably more power sports shops, but... For like go karts and mini bikes and the stuff that I'm really into, it's there's a lot of uh, independence in those topics. You know, somebody like me listening to your podcast because I know pretty much nothing about mechanics. Um, despite my dad like being not a mechanic, but one of those guys that just sort of knew everything it seemed. Um, but I'm not going to learn how to be a mechanic by listening to your podcast. I don't think. But I might pick up some tips and 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 maybe just some really basic practical things that. I might be able to apply if my, you know, my lawnmower breaks or my go-kart breaks or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's really the whole purpose of the podcast is to get people into it and just really give a dip of the toes into the whole world of things. Um, there's people on every level of ability who are interested in this sort of stuff. And I feel like there was kind of a lack um, of podcasts or really information in general for people who are just beginning or want to learn more um, mm -hmm. without having a mechanic or a full garage at home. All right, let's take a listen. Every engine needs the following, air, fuel, and spark. And when I'm looking at small engines that won't start, those are the main things to consider from the get-go. The first thing to check is that you have gas and that the fuel is making its way to the engine. Gas goes bad in less than six months, they say, and you'll often find that when sit, things sit, especially power sports, the fuel system, especially the tank, needs to be cleaned out and refreshed, and it just gets rusty and grimy in there. But after you're confident that fuel is making it to your carburetor and in the right amount, You'll want to check your spark plug or plugs depending on how many cylinders you have. A V-twin, for example, will have two spark plugs because it's got both sides going. And um, spark plugs are responsible for the bang portion of the engine function as they ignite the fuel, creating that controlled explosion, which we can simply refer to as power. If the plugs are clean and actually attached to working, then things get a little more difficult to diagnose from there. I could gab about this for the rest of the episode, and maybe I'll do a future one about getting stuff started that's been sitting. But before I get too deep, let's move on to the difference between a two-stroke and a four-stroke. Two-stroke versus four-stroke is an age-old argument, and uh, there's definitely advantages to both, but first and foremost... Two strokes sound totally badass, and their smell is like heaven. My first experience with one was my friend's 
beat up old Articat Trailcat snowmobile, and it was rough. Uh, the main difference between a four-stroke and a two-stroke engine, though, is that a four-stroke engine goes through four stages, or two complete revolutions to complete one power stroke, while a two-stroke engine goes through two stages, or one complete revolution, to complete one power stroke. And I'm not here to get super technical and try to confuse you, rather the opposite, so I'll just say that practically two strokes burn oil alongside gas, resulting in the exhaust smoke and tasty smell they put out, and they make more power in a smaller package generally, and they're considered worse for the environment in terms of emissions, so... Those are some of the trade-offs between them. Uh, carbs versus fuel injection is another uh, juxtaposition. Um, the last car to be sold in the United States with a carb was a Subaru in 1990, yet carbs are still widely used on power sports. Um, the reason being mostly is that they're cheap and easy to work on. An electric fuel injector, or EFI as it's commonly referred to, works with the other electronics and sensors in a vehicle to supply atomized fuel into a cylinder in just the right amount and at just the right timing. There's a lot more science and engineering to all of what I'm talking about today, and I encourage you to do your own research on whatever setup your vehicle or vehicles have. Everything I own aside from my daily driver Civic is carbureted, so really that's what I know about most, and... I know that when you get into an old car with a carb, uh, like my El Camino, just got to pump the gas a few times to supply an excess of fuel for startup. And now we're going to go back to a little feature that I like to do called What's That Engine Audio. And I'm going to play a little clip for you. And a little later in the episode, I'll tell you what power sport that is on and what engine it is. So... We'll let that play right now. Zips Unlimited can be heard each Saturday at noon on 88.1 WZIP FM. Z- 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 